you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. All right, well, it's so good to see all of you here with us this morning, those of you who are here uh, in the worship center with us, the sanctuary, those of you who are watching online as well. Uh, we thank you, we honor you for spending uh, the Sunday morning with us. Recognizing there are some that are going to be listening online later, we'll know that you are, uh, we're so grateful you're part of our service as well. Now, um, as Thomas mentioned, we are concluding our series called Thanks. And giving. And we spent the first two weeks uh, looking at this idea of thanks and gratitude. And so I want to signal that today we're going to put a little bit more of an emphasis on the idea of giving. Now, once I mention that, uh, oftentimes there's a little bit of a, um, maybe an adverse reaction. Because it's like, you know, what, what are you asking me to do? Or what's that going to look like? Let, let me assure you, this is not something that we are trying to... Um, We're not trying to pull a fast one at all. We're trying to recognize as we enter into this season, a season in which we are, uh, it's Thanksgiving week. Yes, we know that Giving Tuesday is coming up on this coming Tuesday. We know there will be opportunities for us to give of time and talents and treasures. But today, we just want to take a look at what it means to have a willing heart in order to do those things. And so as we're in our Thanks and Giving series, we're going to conclude it with our sermon called Everyone Who Is Willing. Now, as we look at everyone who is willing, we're going to be in Exodus 35 and 36. And as you're turning there, uh, I was reminded of, uh, as I was thinking about this message, uh, I was reminded of, of being a food server. And how many of you, real quick, show of hands, how many of you ever worked in a restaurant as a food server, uh, waiter, waitress, any of those things? Okay, awesome, wonderful. So you all can understand where I'm at. I know I talked last week about forgetting my key in the car when I was serving. So this is not that message again, but uh, this is... Um, recognizing that sometimes when you're a food server, sometimes tables go really well. I worked at a macaroni grill where what you do is you introduce yourself and you have a crayon on their butcher paper and you learn to write your name upside down and introduce yourself and try to, you know, try, try to be really friendly. Um, But recognizing that there are times when tables go really well and sometimes they don't. And I remember one time like the power went out um, just very briefly and when the power came back on, like one of my tables expected a free dessert. I'm like, oh, I don't get dessert. You don't get dessert. No. Um, but what, and things were going really well. And the moment that I was like, they're like, well, do we get a free dessert? I was like, nope. You know, like, um, they're like, hmm. You know, they're getting all upset. And it reminded me of this, um, I couldn't remember where it was from. So I was able to search through Google to track it down. Uh, there's a TV show from the 90s called Third Rock from the Sun. Uh, I remember growing up watching this a little bit. The premise is that there's like a, a group of aliens that are coming to Earth and learning about our ways and it's, hilarity ensues, you know, that sort of thing. But recognizing that um, the, the, the main character, a guy played by John Lithgow, he um, was going on a date and he had a time where he was learning about tipping. He didn't understand what tipping was. And so then he goes on a date a second time and, and his uh, girlfriend, her name's, the actress is Jane Curtin. And so she's going to come in. But before he does, he's learned all about tipping and he's going to revolutionize what tipping means. So what he says is he has all these $1 bills and he puts a, a stack of $1 bills on the side of the table and he holds $1 bills in his hand. 
the food server comes, you know, asks, you know, welcome them and welcomes him and asks, you know, can I get you something to drink? And talks about how he wants a couple of glasses of wine, one for him and one for the other person, not just him. But he's like, here's what we're going to do. He says, this pile of $1 bills is going to be your tip. And every time you do something that upsets me or you, I don't like what you have to say, I'm going to take a dollar away from your tip. But every time something good happens, I can add a dollar back. And so automatically, right off the bat, he's like in this position of power. Like, I'm going to be the one to dictate what your tip looks like. And, and it's right there. It's, it's substantial. Like, she could see what it is. And so she's, okay, well then, you know, go. Goes, comes back right away, brings two glasses of wine, one red, one white, puts the white in front of him and the red on the other side of the table, and he goes, mmm, and he switched it, licks his finger, and takes a dollar off of the pile. And she goes, okay, well, then here are the specials, and some of them say, well, what about, you know, what about this? Like, well, like, oh, there's a a salad. Like, oh, we have this very special salad. It's one of our specials today. It's very good. He says, "What's, what's the dressing? She goes, we'll have to go check. And he goes, takes another dollar off. She goes back, comes back, and the, his date has walked in at this point. He's like, what's going on? He's like, I am revolutionizing tipping. And he says, she's like, you know, wh- I'm just going to tip based on how well they do, and, and if they do well, I'll give them some, and if they don't, I'm going to take it away. She's like, what are you doing? The woman comes back, the, the server comes back, and she brings bread. And like all of us, free bread, yes. And so he takes a bite of the bread, and he's like, and he like adds three more, four more dollars onto the t- So he's going back and forth. And then he says, okay, you know, we're, she, she, they make their order. She comes back again. And you can tell she's already upset. She's like, we're all out of the monkfish. And he's like, oh. And he starts picking up all the dollar bills. And his date's like, you don't even like monkfish. He's like, it's not the point. And because he's just, he's upset. He wants to have the power and to be able to have that. So then now her tip is $1 or whatever it is. And... I bring it all up because there's like a power dynamic with the one who has money can often be like, I'm going to dictate how this is going to go or things like that. And you know, I remember hearing a story of a food server before where um, the tip, in air quotes, was two pennies inside of the bottom of a water glass, which is the worst because one... Like, not tipping is almost better than literally just giving them your two cents. But then putting the two cents in the most inconvenient, rude way, you're like, don't, don't be those people, right? Like, it was just awful. But it's this idea of, I get a chance to, to, to look at things and say, I'm going to determine how I'm going to give my money. And it's okay for us to know we're supposed to be good stewards of our money. But if I can make a transition here... I also know a story of some uh, pastors at my previous church that he, he would preach a sermon and he would come down off of, the, off of the, um, uh, the chancel and he would come down and someone would give him, you know, hey, great sermon today and give him like a $20 bill. And he, in his mind, he's like, oh, you know, thank you. I'm just going to go put it in the offering. But then he's like, did you just tip me? Like, did you just give me a tip for like a good sermon? And Sure, if someone's calling you to give, like, if you're called to give, that's, that's great. But giving a tip for the word of God or for a sermon is not the main idea of why we do this, right? You can give an offering, but to tip someone, it's almost like saying, because then what happens the next week when he preaches? And he's like, here's my $1 bill, and I'm taking it away. I don't like the point you made, or I'm going to do this. If I may make a, what could maybe see it, be seen as a bold statement, I wonder if there are times that we, and not like just us, but we in the church, we view giving to God like we're tipping him. 
where we think, God, this has been a great week. I'm going to give you, oh, the bread was good. I'm going to give you a couple extra dollars this week. Or God, man, my, my spouse, we've been, we've been arguing a lot. Things aren't going the way I want, and we take our dollar. Our kids are upset, and they're, they're fighting, and I take another dollar. God, I really wanted that promotion at work. I really wanted that good grade on the test. You haven't shown up, so I'm going to keep taking my money as if we are tipping God, as if we are in the ones that has money to have the financial the power and the relationship, if you will, to determine how we're going to give. When in reality, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And he owns a cow on a thousand hills. All the abilities that we have to even make money come from the gifts that he's given us and our abilities, as Deuteronomy talks about. So we are not the ones in power, but we have been, through the generosity and the, the heart of God, we have been empowered to give back. As we've said before in our church, we cannot outgive God, but he loves it when we try. And recognizing that there's this, there's this tension that we feel that when we have a lot, and let me again be, say something that may feel bold, but it's really, um, hopefully we recognize it's not. All of us who are listening to this right now are rich. And I don't mean in comparison to one another, because you could look around like, well, I don't have that person's house, or I don't have that person's car, or whatever it may be. But in comparison to the world, we all are among the rich. When there are people who don't have water, people who don't have food, or people who live off of a dollar, two dollar a day, billions of people living off of one dollar, two dollars a day, and we recognize that we, we are rich. That's not a that's not a, a, a negative thing. It's, it's what do we do with what God has given us? How do we have a willing heart? Uh, one of the devotionals I've done before is Charles H. Spurgeon's Mornings and Evenings. And I believe it's February 10th um, is the one that I'm about to read to you from. Because he uses the verse from Philippians 4.12, the idea that Paul says, I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. In this verbiage, he'll talk about, I know what it's like to, to be full, and I know what it's like to be hungry. And here's what he says. If you could pull up on the screen, we'll read this together. He says, when we have much of God's providential mercies, we have finances, we have food, we have things we, we have, it often happens we have but little of God's grace and, that, and little gratitude for the bounties we have received. We are full and we forget God. Satisfied with earth, we are content to do without heaven. The next slide says, rest assured, it is harder to know how to be full or how to have plenty, to use that verbiage from Philippians 4.12. It is harder to know how to be full than it is to know how to be hungry. Because so desperate is the tendency of human nature to pride and forgetfulness of God. And then he cautions us with this, take care that you ask in your prayers that God would teach you how to be full. In other words, how to still be grateful and not think that because, oh, we have money. We, many of us find security in our money and safety and comfort in that we, we have, if something were to happen, we have enough in our accounts that we'd be able to make things work. And it, that's good. We want to be good stewards. Don't mishear me. But if we turn to our money or we see money as something that is our security or is our comfort rather than God, then we are missing the point. And it's difficult in many ways, to be in an affluent country and still follow the Lord in the same way that it is easier for a rich man to go through, on a camel, to go through an eye of the needle, or excuse me, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's hard. 
So what does it look like for us as we look at Exodus 35 and 36? What does it look like for us as we've been someone who has money? What does a willing heart look like? And with that question on our minds, I'd ask that you join me in a word of prayer as we enter into God's word together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who is part of our service, Lord, whether in person, online, or listening later, or watching, on, uh, watching later. God, I pray that you would uh, meet each of us where we are. Lord, I pray that you would, um, God, that you would increase, that I would decrease, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. As we talk about giving, and that can be a, a tough subject for some of us, Lord, but God, I pray that we would have open eyes, ears, and hearts to what you have for us this morning, and I pray that each person who hears this message knows how deeply loved they are by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, we're going to look at what does a willing heart look like. I'm going to start looking at Exodus 35. Now, to give the context of where we are in Exodus, in Exodus 1 and 2 is when, um, is when all this, like, Moses, we, hear, we see Moses' story. We see that the Israelites have been in Egypt for 400 years, that they were brought there through Joseph's good deeds and his saving the people from famine. So they were brought in as honored guests, but 400 late, years later, they are indentured servants or they're captured slaves and they are in this place now where they're crying out to God. God says he remembers them in, the, in um, Exodus. And then we see the calling of Moses in, verse, in chapters 3 and 4, the burning bush, the, the fact that he says, you know, go let my people go. And then we see the plagues and he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh rejects it and he makes things harder on the people, bricks without straw. Then the plagues start happening in chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10. And then in 11, we see the beginning of the plague of the firstborn. And then the exodus happens. They, they finally leave in 12. And then they run up against the Red Sea in four, 13 and 14. And then they get escaped through that. Then they're hungry and manna comes from heaven in 16. And then we start to see the Malachite victory in 17. And then we start to see God answering prayer and moving in incredible ways. Then we get to the Mount Sinai in 19 and they're terrified to go up to it. We see the Ten Commandments in 20 when God says, this is how you can live and be made right with me. Here's the law for which, to which you can follow. And then we see him up on the mountain and for several verses, but then 32 and 34, we see the, great, uh, the golden calf when Aaron led the people into idolatry. Moses slams down the, the stone tablets and he comes back and then a way is made right. The people are forgiven after uh, some devastation in 34. And then now, here we are, very quick example or context of where we are in 35. Because now, while Moses was on the mountain, he received instructions for building the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the mobile worship place for God's people, that he would be in the midst of it. And we talked last week how there were items that were holy, that were set apart for the tabernacle. And so this is an, a big deal. And in this section, we start to see that Moses is calling the people to give to the building of the tabernacle. And so with all of that context in mind, let's start in Exodus 35, looking at verse 4. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing, everyone who is willing, is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, 
and bronze. Now stop there. I'll, I'll come back to the verse, but let's leave that slide up. That idea, everyone who is willing. We're going to see in, here in verse 35, or chapter 35, and then we're going to see in chapter 36 two different times that people are referred to whoever is willing. And so this word willing, maybe in, your, in the uh, New International Version, the NIV, it says willing both times. Some of your versions may have it slightly different. So this idea of everyone who is willing, it, the word willing is actually two separate words. One of the words is leb or leb, which is heart. And the other one is nadib, which means generous. And so it's not just everyone who's willing, like, oh yeah, I'll help out. I'm willing, I'm, I'm I, you know, it's fine. This is like, who, is, has, who has a generous heart? Because this is a free will offering. This is not one of their normal offerings that's gonna come once the um, sin offerings and all these things come after the tabernacle started. This is before all that. This is just, would you be willing to give? Is your heart generous enough to give to the building of God's tabernacle? And so let's continue on and, li- and listen to all of the different things that they brought in. So verse 6 says, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair. Verse 7, ramskins dyed red and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. Remember, this is something where they just got out of slavery. And now Moses is asking them to give of their valuables. They went from having nothing to having gold and silver and gems and olive oil and spices and ram skins. And well, that's probably less exciting than the others. But it's just like looking at, they have all this stuff. And yet God is saying, through Moses, Give a, a free will offering. Give an offering if you are willing. If you have a generous heart, give at a portion of what you have. So a willing heart on our notes or in our, on the screen is a willing heart is generous. That word, it's a generous heart. And a generous heart occurs when we move from sca- a scarcity mindset to one of abundance. If you've been with us for the past few years, we've talked about this a few different times, but moving from a scarcity mindset, there's not enough, to an abundance mindset. That if you have, you know, um, it's the idea of going to the donuts, like, oh, I only want one specific donut, and there's not enough, so I'm going to get people out of the way so I can have a very specific, like, chocolate maple, or chocolate bar, not that that's what I would do, but just recognizing it's like, there's something I want, and there's not enough, so therefore, I will move people out of the way to get what I want. That's a mindset of scarcity. It's the one that says there's not enough. Therefore, I must get what I want first and foremost and look out for myself. We're seeing this as an example. Real quick, before we go to the next slide, how many of you uh, typically, like in a normal year, would already be buying Christmas presents by this time. Some of you, I'm not raising my hand because I would. Steph is good at that, not me, but I'm just giving an example. Okay, how many of you this year have started buying Christmas presents earlier? Anyone have any more? A few more hands this, this time. Part of that, or part of what we always learn about is the reason behind that, or one reason is that there's the supply chain issues, right? That there are things where we know that if we don't order early enough, there's not gonna be enough. We see signs like this that says items on your holiday list may be in short supply this year. Scarcity, short supply, scarcity this year. Things like toys, electronics, Christmas trees and decor, sneakers. And so it's saying 
we're being told and, and we're understanding, listen, there are products that are across the world that, as we see in the next picture, that there are ships that are stuck inside ports that we're not able to get those things out. In fact, I just, I looked up, you know, shipping supply issues, and I, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I love that most of those shipping containers are red and green. I'm like, oh, hey, Christmas, like very subtle, but recognizing it's, there are Christmas gifts and items and things that, that we want. So what do we do? We're told, buy earlier so we can be prepared so that there's enough for when the time comes. Is that bad? No, we're, we're trying to be good stewards. We're trying to do that. But what does it tell us? It tells us that there's not going to be enough, which is likely to be true, right? That's, that's, that's not a falsehood. But it stirs up this, well, then I got to get what's mine. We saw this in a much different example, but similar mindset when a year and a half ago, we see lines outside of Costco to get toilet paper and stacking that, those, those carts full. I remember seeing someone put up something on Facebook a while ago that was saying like, you know, back in my day, toilet paper was so plentiful, we would decorate houses with them. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's probably pretty accurate. So, but it's recognized that now, you know, now if someone toilet paper at a house, like, oh, thank you, you've saved me from shopping, right? Like, as long as it wasn't wet, you know, it's, 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 it's a, if it's not a dew morning and there's no wetness on the grass, like, I'll keep that, no. That's not an invitation, okay. But recognizing just this idea of, there was a scarcity mindset. There's not enough, so I gotta get mine, and I gotta do it now. And if other people are in front of me and they take one extra thing, I'm gonna call them out and we're gonna fight about it. And then obviously the most, the most annual example of this is Black Friday coming up in a few days. People show up, you know, still full with turkey in their bellies at like the middle of the night on Thursday in order to have the early bird doorbuster jam, I don't know, but going in early, why? Because there's that TV or one or that toy or that, there's not enough, I gotta get mine. And this scarcity mindset, friends, is one that is A, not from the Lord, because our God is not a God of scarcity, but B, it's a mindset that makes us look no different from the world around us. We see a quotation from Richard Rohr, puts it this way, America's unhealthy economics and politics persist because we largely operate out of a worldview of scarcity, which leads to actual scarcity. The more we think, oh my gosh, I got to get all this stuff because there's not going to be enough, guess what? There won't end up being enough. Costco or Target or any of those aisles at the beginning of the pandemic were completely empty of paper products because the mindset of scarcity breeds actual scarcity. So he gives examples. There's not enough health care, excuse me, not enough land, health care, water, money, and housing for all of us, and there are never enough guns to keep us safe. But the idea is that there's not enough. Forget the specific examples. The idea is that it's the mind says there's not enough. And friends, if we live in a scarcity mindset, we will have a very difficult time having a generous heart. So what changes that? Richard Rohr continues. He says, only a personal experience of unconditional, unearned, and infinite love and forgiveness can move you from the normal worldview of scarcity to the divine worldview of infinite abundance. That's when the doors of mercy blow wide open. That's when we begin to understand the scale breaking nature of grace. That when in a scarcity world, 
There is a God who had everything in the riches of heaven and came to the rags of a manger who lived a perfect life and died a horrible death and was raised to eternal life to show us and out of his poverty, we might become rich, not financially, but relationally and spiritually rich. When we are the recipients of such grace and of such generosity, then we can recognize there's enough love from God for all of us so we can share with other people. That's when we realize there's enough provision for all of us so we can give. We can recognize how he's been faithful in the past so that we can know we can trust him in the present so that we don't have to be fearful of the future. And when we can move to an abundance mindset, the mindset that says, yes, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Elsewhere in the Psalms, when it talks about the earth, or excuse me, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not scarce in his provision. He's not scarce in his love. He's not scarce in how he is. Therefore, we ought not be scarce as image bearers of God. And when a church or the church, not just our church, but the church, the kingdom of God, Christians, live lives of abundance in a world of scarcity, there's a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Their lives that are changed. People recognize there's something different because when the whole world is tight-fisted, we follow Jesus' example who's open-palmed. And he didn't just come for some to know him. He came to give his grace and salvation to all. So it's moving from a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset, the kind of mindset that comes with unconditional love, grace, and forgiveness. So that's the first example of a willing heart in Exodus 35. A willing heart is generous. But then we continue on with the next one is that a willing heart has been stirred up. We'll read here, and I'll read it in a moment, that the word for willing in this section is stirred up. And I'll read it in a moment. Uh, Exodus 36. Oh, our hearts are stirred up when we remember what God has done for us. When we, again, when we think about what he's done in the past, it gives us faith for the present to not be fearful for the future. Uh, a few years ago, or last week, if you're with us, we talked about thank you notes. Um, and I, I wanted to share another one from Shaylin uh, that I shared a couple years ago as well. That um, there was a time when she wanted to buy a book and she didn't have enough money. And so I was just like, you know, honey, I'll, I'll get it for you. And so she writes, she puts this card, it says like, dada, and then it has um, hearts, concentric hearts on the side. Then the next picture shows the picture that she drew, which maybe you could see it or not, but she has like a ponytail and her glasses, and I have glasses, and it's the, I love it. Um, it says, thank you. And then the next one is the note she wrote, and I want to read it to you all, because I think it points us to this idea. It says, thank you for the book. It was so nice of you to get it for me. You could have bought something for yourself. I love you so, so, so much. Love, Shaylin. Now, let's be... Let's be really honest. And, oh, and then she gave me, uh, I think it's like 76 cents. Right? That was inside the thank you note. Now, does 76 cents pay for the book? No. Is that what I'm worried about? Am I worried about, well, honey, you got to pay the rest of the bill, right? <laughs> no. Why? Because she was stirred up with gratitude for a simple gift from her dad that she was willing to give whatever she had. It wasn't about the amount, it's about the heart. The heart that is stirred up, the kind of heart that reminds us, in this case, of what God has done. 
And out of that gratitude, we're stirred up. That word for stirred up, it also means to look up or to lift up. And so it's our hearts have been lifted up. And so let's, let's look at this together as we look at Exodus 36. We're going to read 2 through 7. Verse 2. Then Moses summoned Bezalel and Oholiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. Again, that word is the word of whose hearts have been stirred up. They received, uh, they received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. Again, this was not taxation. This was not coercion. This was not, you know, anything that was forced. This was people were willingly giving because of their generous hearts and because their hearts had been stirred up. A free will offering morning after morning. In verse 4. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent the word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. That's a long passage, there's a lot to unpack there, but here's a few things we want to mention. The first, again, the idea that who was willing was someone who was stirred up in their hearts. And then two, that it was a free will offering. There's no coercion, no taxation. This was just a gift out of their hearts. Now, remember when I was talking about the context earlier on? The context of how we got to Exodus 35. And we talked about how they were, the, the people were in Egypt once as honored guests 400 years later as captured slaves. And they're sitting there for 400 years and think, it's impossible for us to get out. But God made the impossible happen and he gave them a way out. Then we start to see the, the plagues and we start to talk about how it's impossible for God to do all these things in order to get Pharaoh to a point where he'd release us. Yet God made the impossible happen, and he gave them a way out. Then they go, and they get freed, and then they're on their way to the Red Sea, and then they start to hear the hooves of the chariots behind them, and they look behind them to the chariots and in front of them to the Red Sea, and they think this is impossible. But God makes the impossible happen, and he gives them a way out. Then they go and they're thinking, we're hungry. We don't have enough food. I wish that we had had leeks and the onions from, uh, from Egypt. And God brings manna from heaven. And quail makes the impossible happen and gives them what they need. And then there's the Ten Commandments. And we think there's no way for us to interact with the holy God. And God, it seems impossible. And God makes the impossible happen and gives them a way to have right relationship with them. And then when they sin with idolatry of the golden calf, it seems impossible to be made right with God again. But God makes the impossible happen and brings them a restored relationship with God. And then God says, whoever has a generous heart and whoever has been stirred up, would you be willing to give? Because they saw, God, we don't have anything. We, we barely have anything from our slavery. We barely have possessions, but I'm not going to make this work. It's impossible, but God makes the impossible happen and opens the door for them to be generous. Now, 
There's a verse that we mentioned earlier, Exodus 3 is a verse, a chapter that we know pretty well if you've grown up in the church, the burning bush. I believe it's verse 21, has this detail that maybe we're not always as familiar with. And what it talks about is this is after, you know, God's calling Moses and like, Moses is like, well, who am I going to say you are? It's like, I am who I am, or I am who am. Well, who am I? I'm not good enough. He's like, I'll be with you. And he starts going back and forth. And then near the end of chapter three, there's this verse that talks about how you're going to have, you're going to command the women, in is, the Israelite women, to ask their neighbors for the gold and silver and for fine linen. And in so doing, when you leave, you will plunder Egypt. Not only were they going to be freed by God, which seems impossible, but they were going to have it so that God was going to give them, be favorably disposed by the people to give them treasures. So Exodus 11 comes, and now it's the time for the firstborn to, to have the, the plague of the firstborn. And God reminds them, he says, Moses, now I want you to ask men and women of the Israelites. Ask your neighbors, the Egyptians, for gold, for silver, for fine linen. And in so doing, you will plunder Egypt as you leave. And so, friends, where did slaves get the materials to donate to the tabernacle? They got it from the faithfulness of God to make the impossible happen. Not only were they set freed, but they were given wealthy gifts. And friends, some of you, I'm going to take a little, a little aside, but I want to take a moment. Some of you are going through really tough times. This holiday season, this Thanksgiving season is not one you're looking forward to. Heartache and hurt and pain, conflict. Some of you have been in a dark night, a, a, a difficult season for a while. You're like the Israelites just saying, God, I just want to feel you again. It doesn't seem possible. God makes the impossible happen. And I want to pull out a, 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 what I hope is encouraging to you from this passage. That sometimes, out of our greatest trials, we receive our greatest treasures that can be turned to worship to God. That it's out of the trials of Egypt, they received the treasures from the Egyptians that were used to build the tabernacle to build a place where people would worship God. When I would share with students when I was in youth ministry for 10 years and talked about being depressed and being suicidal as a teenager, I don't wish that upon anyone. It's awful. But out of that trial, one of the treasures I could give a student, I don't know everything you're going through, but I've been where you've been and I'm on the other side and I can give you the treasure of hope. The treasure that there's something beyond the darkness you're feeling. Out of our greatest treasures come our greatest, excuse me, greatest trials come our greatest treasures that can be offered up to God to be turned into worship to him. So they received all of this from God. They received all these things so that the tabernacle could be built. So we've looked at, I'm going to have just a couple minutes left in our time together. We talked about hearts that are generous. We talked about hearts that have been stirred up, remembering the things that God has done so that we can know we can trust in today. 
Seeing the trials and knowing we don't want to go back there, but recognizing the treasures we've received that can be offered up as worship to God. And so what a willing heart looks like is that when our hearts are both generous and stirred up, when we have the willingness to live out of abundance, and when we have been reminded of what God has done, we cannot help but give willingly, cheerfully, and sacrificially. You, you can't stop God's people from being generous because we can't outgive God, but he loves it when we try. So let's see how this plays out in the passage. I'm going to reread verses 6 and 7 from Exodus 36, and here's what it says. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained, put a note on that word, restrained from bringing more. Because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Do you want to know the last, the the previous time where that word restrained is used in the Bible? it's, It's used in different places, but one of the ones that's used in this very same usage is when after the flood... God restrained the water. God held back the rain and he held back the flood. He restrained it. It is with that kind of power that the floods had to be held back and received and the water had to be held back and restrained. It's with that kind of power and that kind of mindset that the people had to be held back from giving to God because they were so generous. Their hearts had been so stirred up. They said, well, we can give this and maybe we can give that and maybe a little bit more here and maybe a little bit more there. And they were willing to give. And God, we've never, you never see this anymore when people are like, hey, we're raising money for a specific thing. And when you go over that amount, how often do you ever hear someone say, okay, stop giving now? What they usually say is, isn't this amazing? Let's see what God can do. Let's see how we can make this happen. Let's, let's celebrate it. And so it's not bad, but notice this. In verse 7, it says that God, that there was more than enough for what needed to be done. Friends, God doesn't need our stuff to do his work. He's got, he owns a cattle, uh, the, uh, cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is his and everything in it. He doesn't need our stuff to get his work done. He needs our hearts. And where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. So, A willing heart is one that's generous and stirred up. One that recognizes we have abundance and is willing to see that God has been faithful so we can live faithfully. Now, some of you may be sitting here or watching online or listening later and think, when's the other shoe going to drop? Like, what is it that you're building us up to so that we would start giving to? It's like we're so accustomed to figuring out, like, what's behind door number three? Let me sell you on this timeshare. That we think, okay, what, where, where is the, where is it, when's it coming? What are you going to say next? What do you want us to give to? You're telling us the scripture dynamic of being generous and stirred up. So what is it? What is it that I'm calling and asking us to give to? Give our time and our talents and our treasures. What is it? Well, it's not a what. It's a who. It's giving to God what's always and already been his. Sure, we'll have opportunities for things to share. Here's what we can do in this season. But this is not a ramp up to a sell. This is for us to have our hearts stirred up so we can give. 
to whatever God has for us and that we can live in such a way as individuals, as families, as a church, as the kingdom of God in which we live with an abundance mindset in a scarcity world and people say, what is it about them? People say, why are you giving when we're in a world of taking? Why are you sharing when you're in a world of hoarding? Why are you loving in a world that is so divided? And we say it's because we can love because we've first been loved by God. That through his poverty, we've been made rich. So it's not about a cell. God doesn't need your stuff. He's got more than enough, but he needs our hearts. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for each person who is um, part of our service today. God, I pray that as we talk about money and giving, I pray that walls would be broken down to not just hear, oh, I knew a pastor would talk about money, or I knew that this was the big deal. God, I pray that you would eradicate that because that's not what this is. It's giving of our time and our talents, and yes, our treasures, but giving because you've made us generous because of the generous love you've showed us. Giving because we've been stirred up because Jesus was raised up from the dead. Giving because that's not something we do, but as Christ followers, it's who we are. And giving because we know we cannot outgive you, Lord, but you love it when we try. So Father, I pray that you would stir up our hearts. Help us to live in a mindset, not of being unwise, but of recognizing abundance. And help us to look on the past of your faithfulness, to know we could trust you in our present and not be fearful of the future. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.